Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro. As always, I appreciate you tuning into the podcast. We've created a questionnaire to better understand you, the listener, and what it is that keeps you coming back to listen to the podcast. We want to know what's working for you and what you may want more or less of. Please take a few minutes to head over to bit.ly forward slash made visible podcast. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash made visible podcast to fill out the survey. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now on to today's guest. Today's guest is someone that I see on an almost daily basis for the last year, and it wasn't until I launched this podcast that I know that she had an invisible illness. Emily Sauce works on the community team at my co-working space, Assemblage, and just a few months ago informed me that she had narcolepsy. I didn't know much about narcolepsy, I guess I still don't, and it seemed like a perfect opportunity to learn more about it, especially through this wonderful woman. So here we are. Welcome, Emily. Thanks, Harper. Happy to be here. So happy to have you here. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background. Hi. I do a lot of things. I have many interests. I certainly wouldn't define myself as someone with narcolepsy. That's not usually what um, what makes it on the bill. So this interview, yeah, is about something that is not usually included in my own personal identification or description. Um, I'm an artist of, of many types. I enjoy a myriad of modalities of, of creativity and I love to sing. I love to paint. As you mentioned, I work here at the Assemblage, which is a beautiful, beautiful community here in New York um, that I am continuously inspired by and really honored to show up for in the capacity that I do, which is building community. And as fleeting and amorphous as that concept might seem, it's incredibly rewarding to embody and, 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 and work toward on a daily basis. I love it. And it makes my experience working here every day that much better because I get to see your beautiful face. Aww, thank you. So let's dig right into what we're here for, which, as you said, is not something you define yourself by. Um, what was your journey to your diagnosis? How did that even come about? The journey to my diagnosis started in college. I started noticing that uh, I was falling asleep in class. And this was after, you know, a full night's sleep. It wasn't like I was sleep deprived by any means. Um, I started noticing like ink spots in my paper that were like very large, like my pen had just been resting there. And I would kind of like come to and be like, well, what has have I been sleeping? I've been sleeping? Am I sleeping? Like what's happening? And so I asked, I started asking my, you know, my fellow students. I started asking my, my professors. And sure enough, one of my professors was like, you've been nodding off like all semester. And it was kind of like heart-wrenching to me to think that that was the perception. Like he was very disgruntled by that. Like I could tell that he was pretty disappointed and like, and it was hard for me to understand because I, you know, was really, really interested in the curriculum. It wasn't Um, like you were hungover and being some like lazy person that just showed up to class and was going to pass out in class. I mean, you know, there would be like, you know. Yeah, it happens. it happens. You're in college. It's a new experience. <gasps> but, but you had no idea that you were doing this. 
No, I had no idea. And again, it was the ink spots. And, um, and I actually did a whole series sidebar, a whole series of like art based on that. So I gathered a lot of these notebooks and created a collection of the art, the ink spots that were resting, you know, my hand just fall, like I was falling asleep and I was nodding off and my pen had been resting and leaking ink just so happened to be, you know, using, uh, um, uh, whatever it was felt, not a felt tip, but you know, whatever. Is there somewhere online or somewhere that we can link so we can include that in the show notes? Oh, I should. They're not online. I should photo. Yeah, I should do that. That's cool. a great. Yeah. Thank we'll you. Make that uh, yeah. Let's make that happen. Um, it's been a while. So, and again, it's been a pretty, like, that's a pretty intimate look of, you know, it, over so, what period of time is this? That was my junior year of college. And when I found that out, I called my mom and I said, Hey mom, you know, I think there's something going on. I think I need to get to a doctor because my, all my professors are saying I'm sleeping. I'm getting a full night's sleep and waking up in the morning for, you know, a 9am class and I'm falling asleep in, at nine by nine 30 and I'm not tired. It's not like I'm, it's not like I'm tired. That was the weirdest thing. Cause I like, couldn't felt like I couldn't prevent it. Cause I like did everything I could. I was sleeping. I, you know, was eating well. Like I, yeah, I was so wild. Came back really to, wild. Yeah. So I went home. Um, Where's home? Home is San Francisco. And school was? School was in Colorado. Okay. So I flew home to California because there's a great sleep department at Stanford. And I grew up in the, in the Bay Area um, of California, outside of San Francisco. And so I went to see a sleep specialist. And um, along with a myriad of other doctors in pulmonary medicine, neurology, like narcolepsy is one of those weird cases where in con- weird conditions where it's like you get a sleep specialist. Yeah. But I mean, I, again, was seeing like a breath, like a pulmonary specialist. And then also like a neural, like a brain doctor. And like, there's so many different hands in the mysterious bag that is narcolepsy that, um, in order to get diagnosed, I kind of had to go through a, quite a process. And so I did what's called an MSLT where they put you on a series of naps after a full night's sleep. So I went into the sleep lab, they, you know, stuck electrodes all over my head, all over my body to monitor my brain waves. And they put me on a full night's sleep of eight hours. And then I woke up in the morning, was awake for one hour. And then they said, okay, now it's time to go to bed. And it was a series of five naps on the hour for 20 minutes. I was in REM every nap within one minute. What does in REM mean? REM sleep is the deepest cycle of sleep. Usually people take like, it takes like four hours on average to get into REM. Rapid eye movement is what it's called. It's what it's the acronym for REM. They were seeing that I was dropping into REM sleep within a minute of every nap. Like 10, what she was like, she looked at me and she's like, that's like textbook narcolepsy. Like I, you know, I'm surprised that it's taken you as long as it has to come in. But again, it was like pretty immediate that I started showing any symptoms. So it was um, within probably six to eight months that I started seeing symptoms that I was diagnosed. And it's pretty common that it's onset between 20 and 25. That's like where, you know, how it goes with narcolepsy at least. Um, so yeah, she diagnosed it and, and that was, and that was the, yeah, that was the beginning of the, of the journey for that. That is so wild. This pen ink concept is so crazy. So, okay. So that's a few years ago at this point. How has it affected your life at this point? Like, what are those symptoms? How often is this happening? Give me a little bit of a rundown. Yeah. So that's about a decade ago. Um, gosh, things have changed so much, especially with relation to like my relation to the condition. Um, you know, you, you, you use the term illness. I don't feel ill, you know, like I don't feel like whatever anyone would use the term disease. I would always be like, "Mm, that's not really, you know, I'd like to say condition, like 
because it's pretty conditional. Like there are some days that are worse than others. There are some periods of my life that have been worse than others. When I was first diagnosed, I was more confused than anything. And frankly, like pretty curious, like, what is this? Like What? But being fed the narrative of like, oh, you have this disease, you have this condition, here is this medication you need to go on. And they're prescribing like horribly toxic, you know, I mean, they're not actually toxic, but horribly horrible prescription medications, stimulants to keep you awake. And like, it was not the way that I wanted to approach the situation. Like I, so they, so they came to you saying, okay, here's your diagnosis and here's what we're going to put you on to keep you up so that you don't have any episodes. Yes. Yeah. And you basically said, I'm not doing this. I basically said, well, what are the other options? And she said, well, you know, and I said, for how long? Something like that. Like, I don't, maybe I'll take them if I, you know, if it's a right now thing, but like how long? And she's like, well, you know, this isn't something that goes away. There's no cure to narcolepsy. Like you're going to have this for the rest of your life kind of thing. And that was like, that was a well moment. And yeah, my, my reluctance to take the medication was kind of, you know, not challenged, but it was kind of like, okay, get real. Like you need to like continue going to school and you need to get your degree. And like after college, like I needed to like hold a job and like, I, you know, is as, as wonderful as it is to think that I could integrate naps into my day, which is the other option that I have now found to be quite conducive to living a life that is, you know, aligned with my ideals and with my values, um, of like clean body and clean mind. Um, you know, I didn't know that that was really an option before. So when you were in, when you were in college and you got this diagnosis and you returned back to Colorado, do you tell your friends? Yeah. They were like, of course you do. They're like, thank God you finally have an under, like, had thank it God been you discussed, finally have, yeah, oh my God, all the time. Cause I would like pass out. I mean, you know, I would pass out and like, I didn't know that it was like, a con- I just thought, you know, I mean, I smoked a lot of weed, you know, I'm going to admit that. Like I definitely smoked a lot of weed in college. And I think that that, um, was kind of clouding my, mm-hmm. the reality of what was going on neurologically speaking. Um, it's still kind of, I don't know if it's still kind of in debate in the medical, in the medical world, whether it's a neurological imbalance or if it's an autoimmune, it's kind of confusing, but you know, it's been, it's been described to me as a neurological imbalance of, of, um, neural proteins. And yeah, my friends were like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing, there's this like branch of narcolepsy that that manifests oftentimes for people called cataplexy. And at first, in my first few years, it was very, very prominent. And I think that had a lot to do with my diet. I've, I've since changed my diet a lot um, to be more, you know, mindful of the condition and the way that my, my intake of um, both my caloric intake and like the nature of how I eat and when I eat um, really affects, really affects my energy levels. So like if I eat a large meal, no doubt I'm going to have to take a nap like no question. If I have a, like a big spike in my glycemic index, if I have a sugar high, like I'm going to crash for sure. Like, I feel like it's just amplified. Um, so when I was in college, like, I don't think I knew that. And I was, you know, like chowing on pizza and like having like these huge meals and like that was, so it would always be like that, that laugh moment where people be like, Oh yeah, Sav is going to fall asleep now. You know, she's just going to take a quick nap. And that was just, you know, it was part of our, was it a joke? I mean, yeah, sometimes it would be, yeah. And like kind of a joke to me because I was just like, I mean, yeah, like I don't need to defend myself, but like 
because you guys are my homies, but like, I, yeah, I need to, I need to take well, a nap. When, when we were planning the podcast, Emily said to me, should we stage a nap during the episode? <laughs> and it was sort of those, like, I don't know, am I supposed to laugh? Should I take this seriously? Like, it's sort of an odd thing yeah. because from what I'm hearing from you, it's not like there's other things going on. Like you said, you don't refer to it as a disease because on a daily basis, like you can basically function normally, would you say? Yeah. I mean, it's all relative. And I think that at the end of the day, it's like either you manage your life or your life manages you or like you control. And I don't, and I don't want to have control over this condition, but I certainly don't want it to control me. And I don't want the societal, like, you know, stigmas as well. Like I remember when I was first diagnosed, the only real like context I had for the condition of narcolepsy was that movie rat race where they like, you know, uh, um, they really kind of glorified like a narcoleptic episode and made, and, and kind of just made it a comment. Like they, you know, they just really made it a funny thing. And, um, and it's not like that. Like it's, it's, I like to find humor in it because in, in ways it's funny, but I mean, in other ways, it's very serious. I've gotten in two horrible car accidents. I've fallen in the wheel, I've fallen asleep at the wheel two times really? and totaled two cars. And, and you know, that was a very, very scary time of my life. Like I definitely take this illness and not illness, but you know, I take it seriously and it, and it, but like anything in life, like where we take things seriously, like we always have to have a little dose of like fun and spunky, like just silly. And like, let's not take it so seriously because then it becomes rigid and like stuck. And um, if there's anything that I've learned from this illness is to flow with whatever's happening and like go with like, like try as best we can to acclimate and adjust and adapt to the cards that are being dealt so that we can play the game. Cause like, I want to play and it just so happens I get dealt like, okay, this is a kind of a tough, like I, this doesn't really fit in my hand. I'm not gonna like put it back in the deck. Like, I want to play. So let's, yeah. And I obviously want to have fun while I play too. So like, yeah, on all the things. That's a really good way of putting it. And I think that a lot of people listening can relate, especially people who have been on the podcast previously, past guests who don't want to be defined by their health and they're living their lives as best they can, given the hand that they've been dealt and whatever it is that they're, you know, living with. So you talked about diet. That's clearly something that's important for you. What are other things that you do to take care of your health and your well-being as it relates to narcolepsy? Um, my meditation practice, for sure. Um, I've only gotten into it for the past, I don't know, I'd say four years, past two years, stronger, way stronger. It's had an immense, immense impact on my condition and the way that I've been able to manage it. In what way? It's almost as if I feel like and when I make time to sit with myself, I definitely sense that I have less, I have less episodes one. And I don't know if I'm like inducing, if it's like almost, a, there's almost a degree of like, I'm inducing this state. Cause like, it's kind of still a mystery what this whole thing is. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm getting in, you know, better uh, in better relation with what's called and referred to as like my spirit or my soul. And like, I don't know where it goes when I have these episodes, but like, it's not staying with me. And there are definitely naps or, you know, episodes that I will have from which I will surface and think, holy, like, what was that? And where was I just now? And who was I with? And how 
how did that just happen between, you know, the first Ave stop and the Bedford stop on the L train? How did the, all of that just happen in two minutes? Like, so, and I know that my meditation practice is helping me navigate more effortlessly into that space of hypnagogia, in between that space of wakefulness and sleep, that yes, I'm sleeping when I have an narcoleptic episode, but I'm having the rapid eye movement. So I'm in, in deep sleep, which is, it, it, the whole thing's like very mysterious to me, but I, I, um, I'm finding that my relationship to it is always better when I have this like kind of curiosity and this warm, like gentle, it's softening. Like it's softening me to admit that like I have, you know, yes, something that's limiting me, but something that also has the ability to teach me so many things that I feel like it's like a gift in a way. And I feel like, you know, if, if we could all, if we could only all see that, that the ways that we're given these things that are like, Oh, this is actually a gift. And we just need to like, look at it from a different angle because I could easily have woken up at Bedford and been like, Oh shit, I just fell asleep. Like that was, Oh no. Like, and gotten all disgruntled about it. But instead it's like, Oh my gosh, I was just able to have this like beautiful download about the gal sitting next to me. And like, yeah, like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people handle things differently. I mean, it's with anything in life of you can either choose to be defined by this and, you know, feel so connected to it in a way that it's negative and owns you. And then there's having a relationship with it and seeing it for what it is. And then there's other ways of people who are sort of like, I'm disregarding this. This is not who I am. I don't want anything to do with it. And I think that you're choosing to do it in the way that's most authentic to you, really. You mentioned an episode being on the subway. How often is an episode happening and how can you determine that it's coming on? So again, it it varies based on ver- on multiple things. My diet, my stress levels, and my sleep schedule. So I like to think of my sleep schedule as separate from my narcolepsy, which that's been a whole journey as well. Because for a while there, I was trying to create a new system for myself of like three segments of sleep, as opposed to one big sleep. Mm. That didn't really work because I wasn't really able to assimilate with regular society. (laughs) But like, it was, you know, it's all about the experiment. It's all about kind of trying different things and seeing what sticks. Um, So now, and it's always been the same in terms of knowing when an episode's going to come. I get this like kind of um, like bizarre, like dizzy spell between my eyes that feels kind of like, um, I've never really had vertigo, but I can imagine, I don't know. It feels like a, like I am kind of dizzy. Like I am like right at the bridge of my nose, um, right in between my eyes. And it's like, I need to close my eyes. Like it's not tired, like sleepy. It's like, I need to close my eyes. I need to lay down. Like you, um, feel, you feel off. I feel, yeah. Like I feel unable to be present here. I'm, I'm unable to be like awake right now. And it, I usually make space or time to, to go and close my eyes. I used to have to set an alarm. I no longer need to, I can close my eyes, get all I need is 10 minutes. It's like a battery recharge and I wake up and great, good, like done. Some days if I can't, if that does, if you know, if my day doesn't accommodate for that, um, then I have to kind of like barrel through and I have like different means of that. There's like these different, um, nootropics that I've been working with. Um, there's a really great company called Neurogum and they, 
and they make this like nootropic nootropic gum. Um, and now I've been using that and that's like really great. Um, I, what is really great? What does it do? It, um, it's kind of, it's like a stimulant. It's like a caffeine. It's like, it's like a cup of coffee. I don't, I've, I've now weaned myself off of coffees week six. I'm very wow, proud. Congrats. Thank that's you. Huge. It has not been easy. Um, and the irony lies in the fact that it's the, the difficulty has been largely mental, not physical. Like my body feels great. You know, I'm sweating way less. I feel more calm in my mind. My body feels less jittery. Like, but like I said, it's like almost like mental, emotional. Like I'm like, I want it. So it's like, I kind of think it's like the ritual of having it, but, um, are you replacing it with something else? Yeah. Black tea. For now. So I'm still getting my caffeine. Okay. Fine. <laughs> it's different. You know, cold turkey is, yeah, that's like, I'm not signing up for that yet right now. I found that it's often when my mind is not engaged. So it's things like, you know, I'm never going to fall asleep right now talking to you. Like, that's why I said, like, let's stage enough. I'm not going to actually fall asleep right now. Like, yeah. but if there were other people in the room and you were, expo- and you were engaged in conversation and it was after lunch and like you were engaged in conversation with them about something that I wasn't particularly interested in, I could very well just go like this and just closing her eyes and just leaning my hand on my, um, like leaning my head on my hand and my, like resting my head on my hand. Like, and I could totally catch a couple catch a couple Z's. And I mean, and it's like, so, and on the train, same thing. Could someone be like, Emily, Emily, and, and you're I can still out? Very, no, very shallow, very, very shallow sleep. As deep as it is, it's like a very ironic thing. Like I am still absorbing what's being said in the room. Like there's been times where oh. I've had an narcoleptic episode and I've been sleeping in a setting where a conversation continues or something is said. And whenever I'm referenced, I'll get back up. I wake back up and it's almost immediate. If I'm not referenced it, something that I'm interested in, even my brain will kind of be like, "Mm, uh, uh." my ears will like perk. So it's something that's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of navigating this space now where I'm like, okay, well, how far, how far gone is my consciousness? Is my consciousness still here? is, am I still, and I'm still absorbing, you know, it's like that. I, it's like that when you have your alarm go off and it's like, you integrate the alarm in your dream. Like that's like every moment for me. It's like, I don't know what's dreaming and what's real. And like, that's could be and very then you scary. Throw meditation yeah, the exactly. Mix. And then you throw meditation in and you're like, Oh my God, I could like full on manifest anything that I want. And I can dream myself doing something that I haven't done yet and literally make it or vice versa. Like I could see things happen after they've, you know, like I'll oftentimes wake up in the morning and dream that I go through my whole morning routine. And then I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I haven't even got out of bed yet. It's right. tw- you know, 20 paths. I need to get, I, and, but it will have been so real in my brain that I had already done all those things. So it's a fun place to kind of explore, you know, like lucid dreaming and wakeful, you know, that space between, but I don't, yeah, I don't know fully actually whether or not I'm dreaming in REM or if it's some type of visualization or, you know, the, the meditation practice coming in, in a way that's been helping. You mentioned two car accidents. Are there things in your life that having narcolepsy may prevent you from doing or have a fear of doing? Gosh, it's like, I haven't even entertain that question because I don't I love like that. to think, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to fear anything. I want to live and I don't want to fear this. I don't want to fear this. I want to love this. 
and anything that I fear, like I want to be able to love it to the point where I can find a way to make it work. I mean, the car thing, you know, that happened within a year of my diagnosis. Um, it's not like I was in denial, but I certainly didn't have a handle on this condition. I did not know intimately the symptoms of onset of an episode. And I was stubborn and tried to fight them. In both instances, in both um, accidents, I was in within a mile of my house. I had, you know, rolled down the windows, turned on the AC, was blaring music, like slapping myself in the face, like trying to keep myself awake. Like I was in full awareness that I was not, but still, you know, push through and maybe it's pride. You know, I think that there was, that was a good amount of it. I'm, 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 you know, definitely been (laughs) doing good work to like try and dismantle layers of my pride that get in the way of being um, vulnerable and realistic about my limitations and in, in, in life. And it, that's, that goes beyond just narcolepsy. But yeah, I would say anything like operating heavy machinery, like, you know, but that being said, I drove a car across the country in a road trip two years ago and we were great. And like, that was at the point in my life where I was able to say like, Hey gals that I was with, I need 10 minutes. So I pulled over kicked the seat back, closed my eyes, got 10 minutes and then got back on the road. Done. Like, but that only came from those years of being like, okay, I need to accept and I need to admit, I need to admit first that like, I have an issue. This is an issue. I can't drive if I'm sleepy and then admit in the moment. Okay. I'm feeling sleepy. Like I need to close my eyes. And yeah, again, it's not the sleepy, but like, I'm feeling that dizziness. I need to close my eyes and then accept it, pull over and do it. You plant that seed of awareness and then action is like 10 steps down the line. It's like, I could be aware of all the problems and all the issues and all the things that are going on in my life, but actions that I can take to actually, um, alleviate or integrate and like, again, embrace and love those issues. Like it's where I'm feeling like, okay, this is good neck. Like this is a nectar spot. Like this is where I can really own and embrace this condition in a way that doesn't like doesn't let it take over and make me live in fear. Like I don't want to fear, but again, my sister just had a baby and I was like babysitting him the other night and I was laying there and it was like, Oh my God, like this is such, this is such a dream to become an aunt and to like have this little baby on my chest. Like, Oh my gosh. And then I started feeling, and I was like, Oh gosh, like I should probably put him in a safe place. Cause if I fall asleep and he's on me, like, that's not safe. Like I don't want him rolling off and you know, so there was that, that was a humbling moment. And I, and and I was definitely stubborn. I was like, I don't want to put him down. Right. And then of course I put him down in his cozy little doc top, whatever moment. And then I lay down on the couch and I try and get my 10 and I can't cause I'm like wired wired. Cause I'm just like, and my brain has now been activated by, so oftentimes there's that really curious space of like you bring awareness to something and it kind of dissipates and it kind of goes away. It's sort of like when you tell you're walking around and maybe you have some sort of issue. I've had issues where I go to the doctor and I've been feeling sort of blah or some sort of thing. I remember when I was dealing with this um, uh, pain in my legs and they were swelling last year, this like crazy thing. Every time I went to the doctor, it went away. And I'm like, I swear that this is happening. My legs are double the size. Yeah. But it only happened when I wasn't at the doctor. I was hospitalized for four days. My legs were fine. 
And the day I left, it happened again. It was like, what wasn't happening in the hospital it's, that happens at home? It's so weird. And it's, they call it Murphy's Law. And I don't know who the hell Murphy was, but this guy must have been like so <laughs> screwed. He must have been so like angry at life because it's such a mystery. It's such a mystery. Like, why is that? Like, yeah. It, it's really crazy. It, it's so crazy. It's so so crazy. you talked about going on this road trip across the country. Yeah. How and when do you decide who to disclose this information to? That was funny when I decided to tell. So I, it was a friend of mine. She's a doula. And um, the other was a, a labor and delivery nurse. And we were, they were, they were going on a cross country road trip to teach reproductive health classes across the country for free on this nonprofit project, amazing, amazing mission. And they needed a videographer. They needed people on board. They needed another driver, another, you know, just like another support system. And I ended up coming on and facilitating in so many different ways. That was like, it was such a beautiful, you know, kind of self-discovery year and journey for me. But I, you know, they invited me in and I said, yeah, totally. And then, you know, it was probably like, I don't know, like a week and a half before we were supposed to leave. I was like, Okay, so we have something we have to talk about something, and they're like, "What?" And I was like, "So I have this condition, and uh, and and it's called narcolepsy, and I have like a pretty good, you know, handle on it, and I and I don't think it's gonna be an issue, but I just thought I should let you know." They both thought I was kidding. Like both, they started laughing, and they're just like, "You you gotta be shitting me. You got you gotta be kidding me." And I was like, "No," and they're like, "What makes you think we're gonna let you draw? Like what? The, no, like wh- how did you not tell us until now?" And it, and it definitely was a kind of a point of contention for a moment, but. Um, it dissipated, it dissipated quickly because I was able to be like, really own it and be like, ladies, honestly, like I want to be a part of this. I want you to trust me. And I never in a million years would want to put you in danger, put myself in danger. I assure you that I will be so, so embodied and so self-aware. I feel empowered in your presence to be self-aware. This is what we're teaching. This is what we're you know, this is what we're doing. We're going on a mission to spread like self discovery and like self knowledge and like women knowing what their body's going through. So I want to be able to embody that. And and I did, and I, and it was totally good. I never had, I mean, again, I had an episode, but I was, it was never without full disclosure and, um, Hey, we need to switch drivers or Hey, I just need to pull over for 10 minutes. Uh, it was fully embraced. And I, yeah, I, I am, so grateful for their receptivity and their flexibility and willingness to, to take the ride, uh, pun intended with me. And, and I learned a lot about my, you know, how I could read my body, how I can better listen to her and listen to the ways that she communicates because, you know, it's not just the dizzy spell in the head. It's not just, you know, the, the, the way I feel after I eat a, you know, a carb heavy meal, like they're, are indications in the muscle tissue. There's indications in my, like, you know, the way that I'm holding my shoulder. Like there's, there's so many tiny inferences, the ways that our body communicates what our mind and, and emotional body is going through that, um, that I feel really empowered by now that I'm that, that trying to fine tune that skill of listening to those ways has been such a beautiful gift. It's so cool that you can approach it that way, really. Cause there's so many ways that you could approach it. And you're choosing to really just like own it and live with it and not be defined by it. Did you, I I sensed a little bit of hesitance in you telling them, were you anxious about it? 
only because I didn't want to be told that I couldn't do it, you know? And I think that that's something that goes for a lot of people. You know, I don't want to be told, I don't want to be told that I can't do something just because of this. Um, it, I don't, I don't tell people unless, unless we're close. I don't tell people unless it's like kind of like a need, need to know basis. Um, well, it sounds like it's one of those things where you don't define yourself by it, obviously. And so unless it's something that could potentially be harmful or putting someone in jeopardy in some way, it's not really necessary for anyone to know because you're not walking around saying, hi, I'm Emily and I have narcolepsy. Right. But there are, there are moments where I need to let people know because it's like very confusing, I think, for a lot of people, you know, like, um, what about if the I work ever go, Yeah. Like, well, work is an interesting space because, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be less eligible for a position. Like when I was in the interview process for this place, like, I don't think it's relevant that I talk about this. I don't think it affects my work. Like, you know, everyone's allotted certain, you know, breaks in the day. And what I do on my break is what I do on my break. The fact that I take a 10 minute nap is totally my legitimate right. Like I, I feel very confident in my abilities to hold my ground with my condition now. Like I don't see that it, you know, impairs my, my ability to show up for work. It's things like when I like go on a, you know, like last week I went up state and we went and we were on the train, my friend and I, and it's like, we, I have to tell her, I have to tell her that I'm going to fall asleep. Like, this is no question. Train ride. No question. Car ride. No question. Going out to the movies. I am like, don't take me to the movies. Don't take me to the movies. I will sleep on your shoulder the entire time. Like no question. Not the whole time, but like in and out. And then I'll be asking you like, well, what just happened? Because I missed it. Like, you know, I'm the worst. I am the worst. My ex was just like, oh my God, you're the worst. Like, so it, it's But kind so of, much of this is self-awareness. Like yeah. you're recognizing what yeah. situation you can be in, what you can't be in and not letting fear drive that. Yeah. But like what's worth your time and what's not. Totally. And like being accepting of it. It's like, if I step into a room, if I step into like, let's say my friend invites me over and she's like, come on over. And I head over there and it's like low lighting and like candles and like soothing music. And, and they want to have like a group discussion about some topic and we're all sitting on the floor. Like I'm going to fall. Like, there's no, like, I'm going to tell you right now. And I hope that everyone in here knows that it's not like, don't take it personally. I think that's a big part of it. Like yeah. a lot of people take it personally. And when I didn't have an acceptance and awareness of it. I used to have episodes in settings where it wasn't appropriate. Like I was working with a nonprofit while I was in college. And this was again, right after my diagnosis, I was not in acceptance of this condition, not in full awareness, even again, the awareness and then, you know, ideally acceptance later, but awareness first. And I was not aware of what it looked like and how often it was happening. And when and how to, yeah. So I was working with this nonprofit and we were lobbying in DC. I'll never forget this. I was, I was in DC and we were lobbying at Congress for, um, against nuclear energy. And oh my God, I'm mortified. I fell asleep in this meeting with a Senator Harper. We were in the Senator's office at Congress. Like, and this gal that I was, um, interning under, you know, she, Judith Mulling, I, so much respect for this woman. And of course the Senator too, but like, I didn't really know him. Like she was the one who I was really like there for, you know, like in, in such reverence to, and like totally thought at that time in my life yeah. that that was the path that I was going on. Little did I know, like, there's no way I could do that. I can't get jaded like that. I, I, I need to 
um, yeah, advocacy is like, a, I, I commend everyone working in political advocacy and working in along those types of lines, because I have, yeah, a lot of respect for it, but not for you, not for me. And in that moment, I was mortified that I fell asleep and she was like, she elbowed me and I kind of tried to catch myself, but went back in. And afterwards she, you know, she didn't really, she's a sweet woman and she didn't really say that she was mad, but she was kind of like, Oh, like, did you get enough sleep last night, honey? Like, and I was kind of like, you know, and I didn't want to make an excuse, but I was like, no, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And total denial, you know, and I wasn't able to own it and be like, Oh, like, I really apologize. I have a condition and like, I should have let you know before. And yes, I got good sleep, but we just had lunch and I should have let you know that like, I need to have like a lay down after lunch, like for 10 minutes, all I need is 10 minutes and then I'm good, but I hadn't gotten there yet. And like, now I'm, you know, now I'm well, well beyond that again. Like I won't even, I, I think that the meditation is really, truly helping. Like I don't have episodes probably. I, I think I would probably say on average, I would take naps like, I don't know, four days a week. It's not every day. So you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that, yeah, you were smoking weed in college and stuff. What role, if any, does alcohol or drugs play in this? Gosh, alcohol, I am weaning off of for sure. Um, I don't find that it's resonating with me anymore. I think that the idea of it is, is more, um, appealing than the actual, the actual substance. So the alcohol has, and I think that it has a lot to do with that. Like I, you know, I, I can't really stay awake if I drink, like it really affects me. Definitely. It puts me into a, a, a sleepy space. As far as drugs go, you know, marijuana will always have a special place in my heart. Um, I have a lot of respect for that plant and, um, it's, it's had a really big impact on my life in a positive way. And in a way that's, you know, elicited a lot of growth, a lot of personal growth in terms of weaning off of it and finding other ways to find peace and, um, alternative ways to, to cope with what was, what it was once numbing. As far as other drugs go, psychedelics, I think have been a really useful tool for me. Um, in both self-discovery, self-inquiry, universal inquiry, universal discovery. Like I have so much respect also for those plants and, um, psilocybin in particular. And when it comes to that type of drug use, and, and I say all of this with coming from a place of, um, to the best of my ability, will try always to come from a place of medicinal use over recreational use. I don't so much like a recreational setting as much anymore um, as I do prefer a a more medicinal kind of inquisitory kind of um, opportunity that these drugs can can provide. Um, But that being said, narcolepsy, I think, has impacted my journey that I've gone on with, with these medicines, with these drugs, in the sense that I am so attuned to like getting into that space that quickly that whenever I'm prompted to, to journey into some concept or some idea or some space in my psyche that needs attention, I feel like it's the, the waters are more easily navigable because of the fact that I feel like I've been like, okay, I've chartered this territory before. Like I've, you know, I've 
gone into the depths of the subconscious, I feel um, pretty frequently that it feels almost like uh, it's it's helped that the narcolepsy has helped create a relationship with drugs that has been um, fruitful in a way and and medicinal. And again, like I don't want to use pharmaceuticals. Like in an ideal world, I'd like to be able to potentially have you know, an experience with psilocybin mushrooms that is able to illuminate, you know, the aspects of my life that I need to focus on that I'm like, oh, okay, I need to have this relationship attended to. I need to have um, this type of food cut out of my diet. Like I've gotten a lot of really interesting bits of wisdom from that plant and uh, in ways that it's affected my, my relationship with my condition. So like, yeah, knowing that and I think at the end of the day, we just need to like know what we need. And like my relationship with narcolepsy has been very much uh, shaped by my willingness to be honest with myself about what do I need? And like, I need a full night's sleep. And when I don't get it like this, this is what happens. And like, I need to be honest with myself. I want to have an open and honest relationship with, you know, say my coworkers. But if I'm not able to address that, with them, I've found a whole pool of juicy goodness in the realms of you know going inside, going and doing my inner work that's able to empower me to show up with them in a way that's like, oh, okay, now I can openly and honestly communicate. You know, I'm not going to hold them to the expectation to if, expectation if I'm not going to show up in that way. Um, and that's all work that I do on my own, not right. you know that they're not involved in. Um, have you connected with people who have narcolepsy? No, you know, I should do that. I should do, I would love to talk to people about that. I mean, I'm sure there's a Facebook group. I'm I'm sure sure there's like plenty of things out there, especially with technology. If anyone listening knows anything about this, definitely let us know. Send an email over to hello at madevisiblepodcast.com and I'll be sure to share it with Emily. Thank you. What are some of the misconceptions about narcolepsy or people who have narcolepsy? Anything that we didn't address or anything... I mean, I think that like the severity of it, I think a lot of people think it's like, you know, I'm just going to like be walking down the street and pass out. Like that's not, you know, but again, that that being said, there are, there are people that have very serious conditions that can't leave the house alone. When you say that, is that because your doctors told you that you've done your own research? Yeah. Well, both, both. But my doctors told me, she's like, you're good. Like there are people who like cannot leave the house alone. Like there are people who need chaperones everywhere. Like their partners need to be with them all the time because they could pass out like they can't be they can't carry their plate from the kitchen to the dining room table because they could fall over and so that's very scary and I feel incredibly incredibly grateful that I on the spectrum I lie uh pretty modestly so um I'm incredibly grateful for that and and in in such if I can say empathy having such empathy for those that are experiencing that severity of of narcolepsy um and so to that end like it's not funny. Like, and I think that it's been again in that movie rat race that they use it as like a comedic, you know, for comedic relief, which yeah, kind of pisses me off. But then also I'm like, whatever, like, you know, again, stay light, stay happy. Like I don't, you know, if you want to laugh, like you go ahead and laugh, like that's your shit, you know, like, or that's your stuff. Like I, I think that, yeah, I don't know that there's a misconception. I think that a lot of people don't know what it is. And when they, if they do know, it's only because it's been glorified on, on a movie or a TV show in a, in a comedic way. 
there's not really like a lot of talk about the condition in like a realistic setting. Yeah. I know when I first told you, you were like epilepsy and I was like, no narcolepsy. And yeah, I think that, I think that it's just not very understood. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I feel like I say this on every episode, but that's exactly why this podcast exists Yeah, is because why would I know this information? Why would your average person know anything about this? If not everyone that they know has this condition and you're not walking around flaunting it. Um, that's actually an interesting point is how do you feel about essentially outing yourself on the podcast? Do you feel like you're outing yourself? No, I feel, I feel like empower. I feel like it almost makes me a little bit emotional because I'm like, I feel like empower, like this is my story. And like, I don't always tell it, but that doesn't make it any less true. And like, I feel like now that I am telling it, it makes me feel like this is me. And like, I am not separate from this condition. Like I, and the degree to which I integrate this condition into my story in a way that's like beautiful and like seamless and fluid is only going to aid in my, you know, my evolution and my um, inevitable, you know, blooming into that, which I'm meant to be like, and I'm not meant to be anything, but this being that has this like very bizarre condition. Like, I, you know, that that's, it's part of you. It's part of me. It's part of me. I'm great at napping. It's part of me. Like, (laughs) I'm great. you know, I'm a napper. Like, and there's, and and I tell people like with, with humility, with grace, I think with, with joy in my heart. And a lot of people are like, Oh my God, I want that. Like I've like literally had so many people be like, I want that. And I'm like, what? Like, no, you don't. And they're like, no, like I have have insomnia. And like, I want that. Like you can sleep anytime. Like, are you kidding? And I'm like, okay, cool. Like that. Yeah. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. Like I, but I think that's one of those things where people aren't truly educated on what it means yeah, yeah. to have the condition that you do. And they're like, oh, this sounds cool. I want to in yeah. on that. Yeah. Is that really what you mean? Right. So this was amazing. And I feel like you gave us so much information that no one would, you know, that I, I wouldn't even know where to look into this. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff online, but to get the first person, you know, story from you is so, so valuable. So where can people learn? more about you or connect with you, whether they have narcolepsy, they want to learn more, they want to see your art, they want to connect, whatever. Where's Emily? Gosh, I mean, I'm in the physical dimension most times when I'm not napping. I'm not great in social media, but I am on it. My Instagram handle is esaucy, E-S-A-U-S-E-Y. You won't find pictures of me sleeping there. Um, again, I don't use this condition as a branding tool, but you know, who knows, maybe someday in the future I will. And maybe this is the beginning of me, like really owning this condition and not as a means of like self-promotion, but as a way of like really stepping into like my identity and like, this is part of it. Um, I'm going to build a website soon. You asked me for my website. I'm like, I don't have a website. I want a website. I'm going to get those pictures of my ink squat, um, like collection together for sure. And, um, but yeah, I'm here at the assemblage. Come by anytime. I work here with Harper. See her all the time. And when we get when you get your website up, we'll be sure to add it to the show notes so you guys can check her out. Yeah. And absolutely. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you so much, Harper. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. 
We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.